And we're back in Fictional Frontiers. I'm your host, Sohei Bawan. Each week here on Fictional Frontiers, we cover the best in genre entertainment. Typically, I record segments with James Berardinelli, the founder of RealViews.net. And we will have James come back soon. We will have James come back soon. But I have to say, again, it's been really difficult over the last couple of months because of scheduling issues and vacations and illnesses and the like. So uh, I'm actually flying out to Florida this weekend. So I was not able to coordinate with James, and I missed a couple screenings this week. And so it's just really, really difficult. It's a strange time to be a genre entertainment insider or film critic or the like because, number one, uh, you're trying to balance all of this content that's on television and streaming services with going to the theaters, and it really kind of replicates or parallels what so many genre fans have to go through, to be honest with you, uh, as far as the choices they have to make, right? Uh, You've got so much content online, gas prices are ticking up, up, up. They've been down a little bit this week, and (laughs) interestingly enough, it seems like the traffic is still pretty heavy in the Philly market, Uh, but Nonetheless, it's still something to take into consideration when you're trying to find a particular movie to go to. And everything is uh, going up in price. Inflation is definitely there. And I've spoken to so many people and they've said, look, if I'm going to go to the movies or if I'm going to go out to Top Golf, or I'm going to go to anything outside, it better be worth my time. Because I can find stuff online. I can watch YouTube videos. I can watch streaming service uh, content, although even streaming services like Netflix are in big trouble right now, it looks like. Uh, There's just so much competition, and ultimately in the end, I think what's happening, aside from the fact that everyone's dealing with uh, the gas prices, and they're dealing with having to juggle a lot of different responsibilities, and they're having to make decisions uh, in some type of cost-benefit analysis format, is it worth going here? And if I don't go here, should I go there? And um, what's the opportunity cost here? It's pretty much coming down to that. So that is something that film critics and people in the industry are not insulated from either. When we were in the heart of the pandemic, we were getting a lot of screeners. Everything was being sent via screener. Now we've got to make our way back to the theaters like everyone else. And I have to confess, as far as the Philly market is concerned, it's been a real challenge uh, because a lot of the theaters that we would prefer to go to, at least uh, myself and a handful of other other top critics, excuse me, uh, would really like to uh, take advantage of uh, are the theaters in South Jersey. We're not able to do that for whatever reason. And I think there's internal politics, there's disagreements and grudges and the like. Certain theaters in the Philly market are not used for screenings anymore. Obviously, after the pandemic, certain theaters closed. But to be honest with you, it's really difficult as a whole to justify going to certain places in Philly, especially given the fact that you're coming out late at night and some of the areas are not as safe as others. There have been a lot of carjackings in the market or in the area. and it's you know something you really have to take into consideration when you're going to go into the city. And I'm not trying to speak ill of Philly, but the reality of the situation is, as a film critic, there are occupational hazards now that come with going to screenings. Uh, the best theater in the area, as far as presentation, has long been the King of Prussia Theater, uh, which is about 
a good hour and 10 hour and 20 minute drive to uh, from most places in Philadelphia. Again, with gas prices, it has to be something uh, because you have to give yourself a real chunk of time to justify. You really have to balance all of this. And so, you know, given that fact, it's really interesting to me to see how so many uh, people who are fans of these different projects and these intellectual properties are not satisfied with what they're getting at home. <laughs> and many of them are not satisfied with what they're getting in the theaters. Maybe there's just this overall dissatisfaction across the board because there's been so much content uh, released over the last 10, 15 years that the newness is gone. And I'm going to take a few minutes uh, to talk about some of this stuff uh, this week. And then next week we're going to talk about some of the specific uh, shows out there. But I want to take a few minutes to talk about fan expectations, fan expectations. And then next week I really want to get into the heart of some of the shows and some of the projects I've watched and why I've enjoyed them. Uh, At the top of the list for me personally was Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm going to go into why next week. And uh, it'll be a spoiler-laden show. So I recommend those who have not watched Obi-Wan Kenobi yet to go ahead and watch it. It'll be airing next week uh, around... You know, July 2nd or 3rd will be that holiday weekend. So when you get a chance, watch the entire series if you haven't. Episode 6, last episode came out, and uh, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I'll just put it that way. And uh, good thoughts, good thoughts. I'll, I'll put it that way. And I think it's something uh, that I've had to really kind of grapple with in the context of just how we evaluate projects as a whole and uh, how we look back at projects fondly or with uh, disfavor. But going back to, for a moment, the fan community as a whole, it seems like, and maybe this has been the case for the longest time in general, but it seems like many, many fans uh, are not really, con- you know, happy, at least online. Again, again, there's the online community and then there's uh, the general public at large. The online community tends to be made up of people who have, you know, created their own sub-industries by just complaining and uh, bitching and moaning about certain projects. That's just the nature of the beast, so to speak. Uh, You know, good news doesn't sell. That's been the case for news media for as long as media's been around. Uh, If it bleeds, it leads. That's kind of the approach to news as a whole, right? And I think when people complain about things, it draws a lot of attention. So you do have a lot of people on YouTube who have created platforms by just complaining uh, about 95% of what they uh, see out there. And there are certain very, very specific parameters and things that they want to discuss. Um, And even if they do like those projects, they don't really spend that much time talking about what they like. They spend most of their time complaining about uh, the projects that they have seen. And I'm not going to say that every single one of their arguments doesn't have merit. There's a lot out there, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, that really does warrant uh, criticism. There's definitely that out there. But again, the YouTube presence of many people or you know many uh, influencers, if you will, the online forums, uh, Twitter and the like, that is just a snapshot of you know a niche part of the industry as a whole. Most people go out there, they watch a certain project, a certain film, and they move on. They watch something else. It's like those uh, two 
security guards at the end of the Truman Show. You know, what's on the next channel? <laughs> That's what they do. They move on. And they're not really invested in what's happening uh, beyond what they're seeing at that moment, out of sight, out of mind. And that's why the Netflix model has been really uh, challenging to a certain degree as far as merchandising and, and branding. Because once a project is finished, once someone has had a chance to watch a show or a movie, they're ready to move on to something else if everything's available. They're not going to wait and uh, you know take their time, watch an episode a week or whatever. They're just going to binge the whole thing and move on. So again, what we see online in a nutshell is not really reflective of what the consumer base as a whole is thinking, it does reflect the very passionate fan bases out there and also those who make a living on complaining or who are contrarians uh, by nature. And so uh, I wanted to kind of take a look at, you know, the two tentpole or seminal franchises out there, uh, Marvel, the MCU, and then Lucasfilm. Those have been for the longest time uh, the two premier intellectual properties slash franchises out there. And I'm not going to get into specifics as far as the shows are concerned. Uh, you had Miss Marvel that premiered a few weeks back. Um, you've had Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so Lucasfilm, Marvel. And then you've had you know Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, now you've got Thor Love and Thunder coming out. Moon Knight a couple weeks back. There's just so much content out there uh, for people to consume based on those particular intellectual properties. Um, what I have found, and I'm going to take a step back and just look at both franchises as a whole in the context of how we evaluate quote-unquote masterpieces. I had this discussion the other day with a, a friend of mine who's not in the film industry, and we were just going back and forth talking about you know, masterpieces in film, those films that are from the first frame to the last frame, just works of art in so many, in so many ways. And there are very few films you can say that about. They're the kind of films you can watch again and again and again. Obviously, there's some subjectivity here and there, but there are certain films for the majority of viewers that tend to be uh, top, top rate across the board. You know, you stop it at any point, you watch it at any point, and you're going to be pulled in. The Shawshank Redemption is probably one of those films. Uh, we talked about that. Jaws is another one. Um, he brought up Goodwill Hunting. I brought up uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, there's just certain films out there that people can watch again and again and again and again <laughs> and never get tired of them. And that's not to say that they are the best films, but usually the films that have that pedigree stand the test of time. What's very dangerous, and I think we all fall into that, is when we take the masterpiece or we take the film that we consider to be one of the best of the best and then use that as our standard to evaluate whether or not we actually enjoy what's being made versus uh, actually giving a critical analysis. Look, you can review something, and it's not to say that everything should get a pass. It's not something where we say, look, everyone gets a medal, everyone wins. I'm not saying that at all. But when you are evaluating a project, when you're talking about a particular project um, and you're reviewing it, yes, you can give your review, but then you move on. You can be passionate about the intellectual property. You can be a fan of that intellectual property. But rather than hone, on and hone in on what you don't like, hone in on what you do. Discard what you don't like and love what you do. And I go back to the prequel trilogy, the Star Wars prequel trilogy uh, as an example. 
I, I, I really love those films. But when I step back and say, do I love the films or do I love parts of those films? If I'm honest, I will say that I love the themes in those films. I love the storyline. There are parts that I will watch again and again and again. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination they're at the level of the Shawshank Redemption, the Fellowship of the Ring, or you know a lot of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, some of the other films out there that are considered to be masterpieces, people would put The Godfather... Uh, first two parts up there you know there there are certain films that stand the test of time i would not say that about those films but there are parts of those films that i have really enjoyed and when i you know go back and watch uh you know those films in some way form or fashion i'll just go back to those sections and parts and that's fine i think we i think we did a lot of that during the 80s i think we would watch certain films like Tron or Dragon Slayer or Back to the Future is probably another film that actually falls into that near, uh, you know, perfect category. It's just great from beginning to end for the most part. Uh, you know, a couple of quibbles here and there. Um, although it's interesting, uh, not to get off on a tangent, with the Back to the F uh, Future film, the first one, I remember, and we always have the bad guys right in the, in, at the front and center of these things. And I remember that Doc Brown mentions the Libyans as the... Uh, as the villains here, because I guess during that time when the film came out, uh, we were having issues with Libya. Uh, you fast forward to Top Gun Maverick, and there's no mention of the country at all. There's no mention of anyone, uh, any nation. There's just an enemy, and that's it. And at the end of the day, you know, if it's not a historical drama, I actually prefer the second approach, because I think there's a political slant, regardless of where you fall, that comes into play there that really is, uh, you know, akin to propaganda. That's it's definitely akin to propaganda, and that's something that I think uh, we should try to avoid. But I digress. Um, when you watch a film like, say, Revenge of the S uh, Sith, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, that film is not a great film in every way, form, or fashion. There are incredible visual effects. The score is magnificent. Uh, many of the performances are very strong. Some of the dialogue, some of the... Uh, specific uh, scenes in the film don't work as strongly as others, but then there are moments in there that are the best in the entire Star Wars saga. So we kind of hold on to those things, and we look back at those things fondly because we have a balanced approach to looking at things. We're not extreme in how we evaluate things. And I think that's a healthier approach. What I think has happened to uh, pop culture entertainment as a whole is that you know, when you uh, become too close to something, you tend to be more critical in many ways. Uh, and I think what's happened is that, you know, when you were watching films in the 70s and the 80s, you got to watch things. At any moment, any little thing you got with respect to a tie-in or an expansion of the brand in any way, form, or fashion, uh, the verticals associated with it, you were excited. And you're like, okay, you know what? I've got something that's better than nothing. And so you kind of let things pass. And that's the way it should be when it comes to entertainment, in my opinion, when it comes to that type of entertainment. When it comes to awards and those kinds of things, I think that's fine. We can be very critical because it's like uh, picking the Mount Rushmore in the NBA, who are the top four best players of all time or the top ten. You know, uh, the Golden State Warriors just won the NBA World Championship last week, and people were trying to decide whether or not Steph Curry is in the top ten or not. When you're trying to decide on a top 10 of anything, then you have to be really ultra critical because the lines, the uh, 
the differences between the rankings is so, so slight that one degree here or there makes a huge difference. You can do that when you're evaluating something or reviewing something. But when it comes to whether or not you enjoyed something, whether you're going to go back and revisit it, I don't think that we should be so uh, judgmental, I guess is probably the way to put it. We should be a little bit more selective unless it's something that's completely, completely uh, antithetical to the storyline that we're accustomed to or some of the spirit elements or some of the, I guess you could say the heart of what that story is supposed to be. There are times when things just go off the tracks. That's not to say I'm not, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about those kinds of things. What I'm saying as a whole is that back then we were grateful to have something and so we let things pass and we weren't as critical. Now, because it's at our fingertips, because we're so used to getting what we want right now, we tend to basically uh, become hypercritical and hyper-possessive because Basically, these projects have become, quote-unquote, our lives uh, for mostly bad, in my opinion, because nothing in the entertainment space should be at the level of uh, religion or uh, you know, social issues, what have you. We have to prioritize things, and the passion that we show for these films should never be anywhere near our passion for uh, the entertainment industry as a whole. That's how these megastars got to where they were and how people became so obsessed with celebrities. And that should just not be the case. It should not ever be the case uh, because that means your priorities out of whack. But going back to these projects, what we've seen is that with the emergence of streaming services, with events like Comic-Con, with uh, transmedia being the buzzword, transmedia is a really interesting, wonderful thing in so many ways because it allows you to enjoy a story across different verticals. You start with a film project or a TV project, and then you expand into different directions. That's all great. I love that. Uh, If it's done well, and it's also kind of fun because you can pick and choose, but what happens oftentimes is that the product or the story is diluted when you expand into many different directions, particularly if the talents involved with those other verticals are not as strong enough. For example, if you have a film series or TV series like Star Wars, and then You have comic book series, and unfortunately, the comic writers are just not up to pace. They're not up to snuff. They're not as good as the writers um, on feature films or television series. Not all of them, but some of them. That's a problem. But then also what happens is that you're just overwhelmed by that. And when you have so many different options, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to really be extremely critical because, again, going back to what I was saying at the very beginning, your time is not cheap. Gas prices are definitely not cheap, and so you have to make a decision one way or the other to make a decision, and you've got to be really hypercritical. So I think that's where we are in pop culture as a whole. I think that for those niche fans who love these franchises, who spend so much time immersed in those worlds, they are hypercritical because they have so much content, because they're so attached to that content, um, because there's so much content out there, and because they're giving up other things to be a part of it. There's almost a, a possessive sense of agency that comes into play here. Uh, they feel like they should have some say in where things go. That's why we're seeing so many um, you know, critical views on particular projects where people are like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. There are people who have a little, more, more ba- a little bit more balance, uh, not that many. Most people are on the extreme left and right of uh, critical analysis, but there are people out there who are balanced. And those are the people I think you should gravitate towards just in general, the balanced way is the best approach. The middle way is always the best approach as a whole. Uh, 
Um, and you should be open to looking at the things from other people's perspectives at all possible. And so when I see something like, uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, or I see a show like Miss Marvel, or I see a feature film like, uh, I don't know, like I said, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, or Black Widow. Let's go with Black Widow instead. Um, you see that the box office totals are dropping. You see that there's a lot more negativity out there, uh, online at least, and it has an impact. It definitely has an impact as a whole. And the other thing that's really interesting uh, to kind of serve as further evidence of why I think my theory might be right is you look at a film like Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick uh, obviously is a sequel to the first Top Gun. People did not have any idea that this film was going to be this behemoth. It's probably going to be the biggest film of the year if Avatar doesn't surpass it. And there are a couple reasons why. I, I just had a chance to see it again uh, a couple days ago with my family, and it's an extremely well-crafted film. It's a film that really takes advantage of the silver screen. It doesn't have, you know, overt politics. Obviously, you can make the argument that it's a glorified advertisement for the Air Force, and that's true. That's definitely true, but it doesn't have that, that bent there because no matter where you are in the world, um, you can always respect to a degree um, the people who fight to defend the nation. And as long as there's no dark enemy out there, you can appreciate the skill sets of those involved with it. And like I said, there is a level of heroism there to a degree. But the film is extremely well-crafted. It doesn't rely that much on CGI. Tom Cruise, who you know for the longest time was in trouble uh, because of things going on in his personal life, uh, what have you, has now become or is now the only real superstar in the world because he's willing to kind of take chances the, with the way he films these movies, the stunts, uh, his dedication to film. And I really think that that's part of it. When people see that level of dedication, but how many Top Gun projects have there been since Top Gun? This is the only one. <laughs> it's something we have not seen in a long time. And so fans of the first one, I've had uh, a couple people I've spoken to have mentioned this to me. They love Top Gun Maverick. Like I said, I enjoyed the film. I think it's a film that's very impressive on the silver screen. But they love the film. They were quoting lines from the film. They were so happy about certain things in the film that I didn't think were, you know, some of the best things I've ever seen. I mean, they were fine. It's fun, what have you. Uh, they're critical beats. Uh, there's a scene with Val Kilmer that's very powerful. Uh, I thought the actors were first rate for the most part. Yeah, they were actually all really good. Um, they loved it because there's not that much content like there out there. There's not a ubiquity of content, right, uh, based on Top Gun. And I think that's the problem to a huge degree with all of these genre projects like Star Wars and Marvel. And, you know, as they say, uh, you can kill the golden goose. That might be happening to a degree. But the way to kind of pull back as a fan, the healthy way to kind of deal with this situation is to not be so critical. Even though there's a lot of content out there, go out for a walk. You know, go play tennis. Go play basketball. Visit your parents. Um, Read a book, you know, read books from the past, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. Uh, try to st study theology. 
try to read from masters in other parts of the world, and then come back and revisit the projects here. I'm telling you, your evaluation will be very, very different because you will not be overwhelmed by the amount of content. You will have divorced yourself from uh, being so involved with it that you know what, you'll appreciate it for what it is and stop being so critical and micro analyzing every single aspect, every single frame of what that is. And it'll be healthier for you. I'm telling you, it will be healthier for you. Now, one point about this, and uh, I will uh, take a moment to look at the other side of the coin. Is that the way we should be when it comes to expectations? We should expect the best, right? What's to ensure that the people who are behind these projects are not going to be lazy and stop doing what they need to do uh, to the best of their abilities. I have to be honest, there's no way to really stop that. I will say this, I will say this. If you look at George Lucas and Star Wars, if you look at Tom Cruise with whatever he's working on, if people are dedicated to their craft, the project is going to be strong. You're going to feel that when you watch that project, no matter what. But if people are looking to cash a check, if they're not really, you know, that excited about the project as a whole, they just want to be part of this uh, universe because, hey, it's something that I've always uh, thought was kind of strange and odd, but because everyone's doing it, I'm going to jump on board. That's what I think with a lot of the actors who are at the MCU now. They just have to be involved because everyone else is un- involved. It's like if you're not in the club, if, you, if you're not a member of the MCU, you're not part of the club. So they don't have that same level of passion. You're not going to get that no matter what, whether you are critical or you're not critical. Because at the end of the day, Hollywood's going to go for the best actors, the best talents, uh, the name brands out there, no matter what. So, you know, you could stop watching and they may, you know, pull back and, you know, maybe evaluate things a little bit more critically and harshly. But for the most part, it's it's a machine. Uh, It's show business, not show friendship. It's just about Uh, the profits at the end of the day for most people in Hollywood. That's why when it comes to so many crossovers and so many different projects uh, like the Spider-Man Marvel stuff where for a while there wasn't going to happen, they don't think about the fans. They think about what's best for Sony if you're Sony and Spider-Man, what's best for Marvel if you're Kevin Feige and the MCU. That's not to say they don't love the fans or respect the fans, but at the end of the day, it's a business. And that's why what I think uh, we have to recognize is that they have that perspective. We should have that perspective too and live a more balanced life as a whole and just enjoy what's out there. Enjoy it, but stop being so heavily invested in these things to the point that you become depressed or uh, you become uh, so, so invested in this that it's going to make or break you. Uh, Jordan Peterson I believe, had mentioned that the MCU, those are the new uh, deities as far as people are concerned. And that's really disconcerting and and problematic on every level. Let's just take a step back, breathe a little, and enjoy the content as a whole. You're listening to Fictional Frontiers with Sohei. Uh, We'll talk to you next week about some of those specific projects like Star Wars, uh, uh, Star Wars' Obi-Wan Kenobi, and uh, I might look back at Top Gun again, too. Talk to you next week.